Season 3 of Around with Stephen Cole is made possible by listeners like you. To find out more, visit patreon.com slash ARWSAC. Welcome back, faithful listeners. I'm Steve Yamada. I'm T. Cole Newton, and coming to you pre-recorded from my mid-city bar, 12 Mile Limit, it's time for Around with Steve and Cole. Hey everybody, welcome back for episode three, season three of Around with Steve and Cole. I am T. Cole Newton. We're coming to you from 12 Mile Limit. I am here as always with my partner in crime, Mr. Steve Yamada. Say hey, Steve. Hey, Steve. <gasps> ah, classic joke, right? <laughs> welcome back, everyone. Season three, episode uh, season three, episode three. We've got mm-hmm. some pretty fantastic guests here. Um, I guess before we dive into that as well, I think it'd be kind of interesting. Um, Cole, how do you think you got your start in the New Orleans bartending industry? I submitted an application at Commander's Palace and was hired on the spot. Mm. They were in a I think they probably still are with bar people because it's sort of a weird place to tend bar, but they're, and the, the turnover is so high that basically anybody with any moderate level of experience can get ta- brought in over there and then trained up and just sink or swim, see how you do. I had about a year or even maybe just a few months, actually, of bartending experience before then, so it was definitely a crash course. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you feel you got your break at Commander's Palace, or did that come later? Uh, yeah, that was definitely where I really learned how to be a professional bartender for the first time. I went to bartending school. I'd had, I'd had other bar work, but that was like my first real full-time bartending job, and it was definitely the, the place where I learned to take the service industry seriously for the first time. Mm-hmm. Exposure in the community as well? or A little bit. That, more, that happened more later in my career. There, there aren't a lot of bars in Commander's Palace that are, that are outward-facing. Um, you can't just go in and get a drink and, and sit down. Uh, you can you know, sit on the patio if you want, but there aren't actually even, even bar stools at Commander's. So it's not a place where the, that was the focus. Although there was a lot of energy at the time dedicated to sort of improving the cocktail program there. So they, they had some energy. There's some, some PR behind it. But it was really after I left Commander's and was in a more outward-facing program. I was at LOA and then later when I was running the program at Coquette that I really kind of burst onto the scene i guess <laughs> that burst. sounds Ooh. graphic yeah, that's, that's a, that's a burst much. all up over that scene <laughs> he debuted he debuted to the new orleans cocktail community <laughs> uh yeah same thing um i mean i worked at a chain restaurant i worked at the bubba gum shrimp company for like seven years and really had no exposure to you know craft cocktails or anything like that for a long period of time and even when i uh was got interested in craft cocktails i found it very hard um when i was starting off to actually get a foothold in the industry and you know make a name for myself and all those other things i found personally for me working with my good friend jeffrey wilson uh and also with chris Hanna and doing pop-ups was a really important thing um i think there's kind of a very consistent narrative with new orleans bartending uh sometimes for some people that you have to make your own way uh people aren't going to create a path uh for you to be successful and in order to really thrive you have to create those own avenues for yourselves. Which brings me to our fantastic guests here, who I think are doing a great job of carving out a fantastic niche in this market. Why don't we go ahead and introduce ourselves, starting with you. Uh, Hey, Anna Giordano here. Thanks for having me. And then we've got... Maggie Morgan. Fantastic, fantastic. Anna, let's go ahead and start off with you. Uh, How Are you from New Orleans originally? I'm not. I've been here for about six years. Um, I'm from upstate New York. Mm -hmm. Whereabouts? Uh, Kingston. It's uh, on the Hudson. All right. My mom grew up in Rochester. Yeah, she's up there. Yeah. Mine's like two hours. You have to call it upstate New York if you're above New York City or like above Yonkers, mm-hmm. even though it's Otherwise the entire state. New York City. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so I live basically yeah. at the bottom of the state, but it's upstate New York. So Gotcha. Yeah. Um, family's still there, but I've been here for six years. What brought you down to New Orleans originally? Minivan. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> good choice. You get a lot sorry, of luggage in there. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, my girlfriend was like, "Hey, I got a minivan. You know, you have like a chair and a deer head. Do you want to put it in there and like move away?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure. Why not?" Your possessions were a deer head and a chair. I remember both those things. Yeah, I had some clothes, but like I had my deer head and I had this folding green chair that I liked a lot. Yeah, but, I think did that- you did you murder that deer yourself? <laughs> no, but the man that did murder it was there's a photo <laughs> of him on the plaque. With the deer head on it. Oh. So he came too. Comes, <laughs> comes with a picture of a deer murderer. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's pretty rad. Mm, yeah, no, it's really great. Places. Yeah, they're vermin. We should really kill deer. Yeah, yeah. Upstate New York. We, yeah. we killed I've, I've all killed of their natural predators. Yeah. They like yeah. 
Yeah, they celebrate that. Hunting season starts and you can get school absences yeah. for going out and hunting deer. That's real. Help. Oh, nice. <laughs> Public Lower schools, America, education. Virginia. <laughs> so you're from Virginia, I gather. <laughs> but you also, you, you traveled around a lot and lived in a lot of different places before yes. you moved to New Orleans as well. Well, okay, so New Orleans is the first place I ever moved. Um, I've been here off and on about eight years, um, and I came here uh, when I was 18 and ended up only staying for about eight months at the time and moved uh, to New York City within that time and then lived in Hong Kong for a short period of time before returning to New Orleans because I think that's a big theme a lot. People leave New Orleans and then they always find it again, come back. Yeah, it's a, it's, there's a lot of gravity in the city. It yeah. sort of pulls people into its orbit. And so I even thought if, even about it all the time. Like just, every year the, I was away, I was just like, man, I should just really go back, you know. And you did. And I did. That's that great. Was great. <laughs> I did what I told myself I was going to do. <laughs> Were you able to, what was your first bartending gig in, did you bartend in New Orleans your first tenure or just when you returned? No, I worked at the Monas Cafe on Carrollton, which is now... A wings place. It doesn't even exist anymore. Oh yeah, no, it was. Yeah, uh, it's, so that was uh, my first job in New Orleans. It's another taco place. It's Taco Loco. Okay, is that's where what that it Mona's is. is. Yeah, yeah. No. I used to pack hookahs and yeah. serve pita bread to college students. I used Man. to be mm-hmm. a college student mm-hmm. smoking those hookahs. Yeah, <laughs> but and they it, would have like different flavors. Like I would have to do like the blueberry yum yum, and it was like vanilla <laughs> shisha with like blueberry shisha, oh and I have to yeah, and I have to like put, like pack it all together. And now we're in the foil. future, and we have mobile. Now like, we have. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's digital. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I'm not gonna lie. It's probably gonna kill a lot of kids, it's but US, it's pretty it's cool. It's a USB port that you can smoke. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the dream. Yeah, the hookah that was so. I want That was so. Uh, that. Yeah, my know. friends yeah. and I in yeah. high school all split. Like, there's three of us, and we all like split buying a, a large hookah. Us mm-hmm. too. Like our senior yeah, year of high, high school. school. It was did. great. I would drive out to Northern Virginia the, from D.C. because there weren't any hookah bars in D.C., but there were a few in Northern Virginia. Really? Nova. That's, that's surprising. Yeah. For D.C. I, I mean, it's I, like everything there. The, the, every, I mean, I think... There were there were very lax tobacco laws in Virginia because it grows well, so tobacco, much tobacco. Well, tobacco, duh, tobacco capital <laughs> yeah. of the world, baby. Yeah, yeah. Three hours from the Marlboro plant is where I grew up. <laughs> <laughs> when I uh, dropped out of college, <laughs> speaking of hookahs. Speaking of hookahs, yeah. When I uh, was dropping out of school, the first job that I actually had in New Orleans outside of a catering job that I was working was at a hookah slash sex toy shop that used Great. to be across the street from what Santos it was a whirling dervish back then. Right. Uh, but I remember Still I tried getting a job. Yeah. I yeah. tried getting a job at um at Redfish Grill and okay. uh, they said that I didn't have enough experience because this was before Katrina and you actually had to have experience to get jobs. Now you just have to have a pulse basically yeah. to get a job anymore. <laughs> uh, so I got rejected from there and I stopped into Baco and I didn't know those restaurants were connected at the time, which is Sobu now. And they said the okay. same thing. So then I went to go hang out at this hookah bar where this old guy named Amos used to work. And he said, you're looking for a job. Great you name. can come here and work. And it was like the dream job. It was just Famous like, Amos. yeah, just come in and pack hookahs and read books. And it lasted for three days before the place closed down. So. Oh. <laughs> man. Oh, man. It's uh, my dream. My dream. Anywho, so um, didn't start off bartending down here. I was didn't. working in the, in the industry. Yeah. And how did you get into bartending? Um, it was when I was living in New York. I was working at Joe's Pub, which is in the public theater in the East Village. Um, it's been there about 20 years now, black box cabaret style theater. Um, Amy Winehouse did like her first U.S. debut there, et cetera, et cetera. Um, really special space. But I was a cocktail server there, so I had to learn everything it was about their bar program and be able to be that filter between the bartender and the customer, because the customer was asking me, questions that they would ask a bartender so I had to have the same level of knowledge I just wasn't making the drinks I was drinking them in and running them Um, and we did lots of intensive um, weekly tests and every week we would go through different spirit and I was not 21 at this point I was about 19 Um, so it was the first time I was really getting introduced to spirits we were doing tastings and they were like well we know you're not 21 but we still need you to know what you're selling Mm -hmm. so they would still let me partake in tastings because I ended up becoming really interested in it and just through that and uh, that was the first time I ever kind of realized oh you can kind of make this a career Uh, the woman at the time who was running the bar program won like an eater bartender of the year award Hmm. and that's one of my first times I remember like oh shit like this is actually a career path for people and you can be successful and be a bartender 
So that was my first kind of like aha moment. Yeah, that's really great to have like a female mentor to yeah. kind of like latch on. Because she was like beginning. tatted up too. Definitely came from like the punk rock scene in DC actually, mm. um, and was just like this punk chick that had become extremely successful through like a you know big hospitality place in New York, and uh, yeah, she rose through the ranks and was super talented yeah. still is super talented obviously so yeah, did you start bartending when you were in hong kong yeah i did um i worked at a place called mrs pound in shang Wan, uh which is still there it's a speakeasy um really cool kind of like burlesque themed but it's like a stamp shop on the outside so you have to go up and like push a stamp and then it like the door slides open mm-hmm. so it's like of course like super you know that was sort pitch. of this was what about eight ten years ago for this because I feel like this was like the five, heyday five of the, the secret entrance bar. Five or six <laughs> years ago. But yeah, Hong Kong, like they love niche. They love kitsch. Um, so it was super kitschy. Like as soon as you got in, it was like pink vinyl booths and, you know, like string lights that looked like the little like acrobatic. Uh, I can't really think of what they're called, but like the loops that acrobats use. Um, so yeah, super kitschy. It was really tiny. Um, but that was my first kind of like bar gig where I obviously kind of faked it till I made it kind of thing where I told them that I was a bartender in New York. I feel like a lot of people's stories start with lying about having yeah. that bartending oh, experience. I had two years experience when yeah. I was 17 years old when I came like, <laughs> and I, I was 22. I felt like I knew the fundamentals. I had just never actually done it. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did and I kind of learned and was able to hone some of my skills there and the bartending style in Hong Kong is extremely different than it is in the US. Um, they take a lot more care and a lot more time into how they cre- like create their drinks. Like for instance, like one of my coworkers, it would take him five minutes to put out a gin and tonic because he would want to. This it was always an embellishment and always a flick of the wrist and always you know. It was like a circus act or something. I find that style of bartending very frustrating. It was super frustrating because I'm like, hey, I need the gin and tonic <laughs> for my table. You know? So it was yeah. like, if you can find a balance between like, I don't know. I always think of bartending as like a, like dancing. I grew up doing ballet where it should be something that's like very graceful and looks like it's easy, but you're, you know, mm-hmm. or like the, the duck um, Oh, you're you know, paddling really paddling hard. Paddling really hard underwater. Right? Swan, yeah. yeah. Swan Graceful above water, paddling like crazy underwater. Mm-hmm. Oh, Danny Meyer. Mm-hmm. Anna, how did you get your start in the industry? Um, I, uh, I started in New Orleans uh, when I moved down here, but I was sort of tricked into it. Um, <laughs> I was certainly tricked into it, actually. Um, I was hostessing. I, had a, I, had, I, got, I went to school for art history, so I moved down here. I got a job at a little gallery and was like, cool, I'm doing the thing that I should do. And just like making actual money, working at a restaurant on the side. And I was hosting and I was like, okay, cool. You know, I wear my cute little outfits and just stand in front and tell people hi. And then... Um, <laughs> what, were, what restaurant? Marisa. Okay. Which, oh, it yeah, it's now by Water American Bistro. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was now Babs. Marisa was great. Those humans were wonderful people. I mean, still are. They live, they still have a little taco, like shack going on which apparently is great is that that alley taco place in the i haven't been there yet but i hear it's amazing only open on tuesdays i think that that is they've expanded i think i think it's like uh they'll never be open on sundays because they're diehard football fans but (laughs) um i think it's on saturdays and friday saturdays and tuesdays but so those homies used to have marisa which is where i got tricked into bartending because one of the bartenders who was also a manager at the time i remember him he came up to me. He looked. He's like an like a Bywater George Clooney. Came up to me and was like, "So, <laughs> you want to? Uh, you're gonna bar back on Tuesday instead of doing this?" And I was like, "Oh, okay, no doubt." And so I, I just was like, I just stood back there on t- that Tuesday. I was like, "So what's up? What do I? What am I doing here? What's going on?" And then he did the same thing again when I was bar backing. He's like, "So." You're going to bartend here on Saturday. I was like, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> and he's like, no, it'll be fine. <laughs> and it was fine. Turned out yeah. it, uh, it's easy to do almost anything when you like give half a shit. Mm-hmm. So he showed up <laughs> yeah. and I was like ready. And so it was super simple. And I was like, oh, cool. I'm wielding some power here. This feels nice. And I made so much more money that I quit 
gallery job because that was boring and paid nothing. And so now I just do that. Just do this now. So you're saying at that point when you first started in there, it's kind of was, it's not your passion. It's not something that you like you had worked for. Uh, I mean, you did work to like get up to the point where you could bartend, but I mean, using the word like, you know, saying the phrase like half a shit, <laughs> was there a transition at some point where it was just like, okay, now I'm giving the full shit? Yeah. Yeah. There was a transition. The, um, the, that was um, that was a time when every restaurant that opened that was, you know, like regarded in any way had to have a craft cocktail program. Mm-hmm. So it 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 had it, but it wasn't super ex- executed super properly. It was just there um, as like a placeholder. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was you know making cocktails. They weren't super awesome, but they were there and people liked it. And then the bar manager went out of town for about a week, and they were like, "You try to do this for a week," and I. I was like, okay, and I got super nervous, and I was super hyped myself up about it, but um, but I but I started out and I did it, and I did it really well, and I ran, ran like drink specials, which I had never done, and I really didn't know anything about booze before I started at that restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just like completely like immersion exposure at, in the moment kind of deal, um, and then I did it for that week, and everyone in the restaurant was like, hey, good job, cool, you nailed it. And this also being said. Um, the bar manager was a pirate. <laughs> so, like, I didn't... Yeah, he was, like, a literal pirate. His name was Captain Jack. So I didn't, like... There wasn't a high bar. <laughs> that's, that's also not, like... Like, you're not diving deep on God, that I one, right? Oh, yeah. Captain Jack. <laughs> I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta give a little bit more information about... Yeah. The, was, so did he, like, go out to sea and, yeah, he, and he assail lived, commercial vessels? He didn't, I, he didn't do commercial stuff, but he called himself Captain Jack. He lived on a boat on the pier. So he was, like, the guy from Jaws. He was, like, the guy from Jaws. <laughs> yeah. So, but this, he had this, an this, acting he's background. Pirate. He's a pirate cosplayer. <laughs> well, yeah, he had an acting no background. No offense, Captain he, Jack. Yeah. He's not <laughs> Hamilton. No, exactly. That, that's good dedication, at right. least. You know, some cosplay. It's like, you know, you just wear the Jack Sparrow outfit. He had the boat. He had the boat. <laughs> he had a boat. Okay, fair enough. He had the boat. He had boat a does name. not a pirate make. I'm sorry. You, you got <laughs> to smuggle some shit. You got to smuggle some shit or, or take over a larger boat and, and make its crew your crew. Just, yeah. Well, you, know, you got to at least. Do terrible things. Yeah. No. Yeah. Fair. Darn. All right. Well, I guess I'm going to have to break it to him then. <laughs> That's going to break a lot of hearts. <laughs> Mine's already been broken. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so Captain Jack, like, yeah, tricked me into doing this whole thing. So this sounds like it was <laughs> roughly around the same time that y'all were getting were breaking into the New Orleans bartending world. So you moved here back from Hong Kong, yes. and then where did you work when you moved back? Swizzle Stick Bar. Okay. Oh, all right. That's, yeah, that's a lot of people <laughs> hey, hey. Um, ain't there no more. Well, yeah, R.I.P. Yeah. <laughs> uh, really? <laughs> uh, no. no. <laughs> I was there for three months, and it just was not my cup of tea. Mm. When there were, there was a heyday for the Swizzle Stick Bar. There was, was. there was a while where it yeah. was one of the most progressive bar Cocktail programs bars. in yeah. the city. And this mm-hmm. was probably like between 2005 and 2010, sort right. of in that window. It was definitely on the forefront. It was one of the few places you could get either like both a, a an original craft cocktail or a classic. A lot of the, a lot of bars were doing classics for a while, but they were really mm-hmm. on uh, sort of on the, on the vanguard. Mm-hmm. And this was also part of the the Commanders family. So that was around the time I was at Commanders and it was right. definitely like like the, people the were into it, bar. like the cocktail yeah. bar. This mm-hmm. is before Tiny. This is before Cure. There right. was there weren't a lot of options, but, right. but they were, and they, they really it didn't last. Once there was more competition in the market, they really they didn't do much to evolve. Unfortunately, yeah, it, it really did. Kind of, it seemed like it was stuck in time. And even if that time was a few years past, you could kind of just tell that it wasn't trying to be more progressive. Mm-hmm. It was kind of staying at that one note that it had kind of stayed at. Yeah, they seemed content to just, like, we've got our sort of captive hotel audience, right. but not trying to really draw They're people in. They're not trying in. to bring people in outside of the hotel guests, which is what I experienced a lot mm, of. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, and I, and I haven't worked there at all, too, but I think that's that weird balance that you have to deal with in New Orleans. Like, where are the people at? Where do you have that constant flow of new guests is going to be in the quarter, is going to be in the right. CBD area. You've got a bunch of tourists who are coming in. And there's something with like the people who are coming down to New Orleans. That craft experience isn't always the experience that they're looking for. Absolutely. And I think there's so like, many great dives. Yeah, but I mean, those holes will take places. in particular. I think you know the people would be there. Like they get really busy on game days because they're right on Poitras right. Street, and you get this influx of people. And I don't think they're 
at the time, up until probably its demise, really, there was not that demand for craft as much as volume and just being a hotel bar there. Right. And so that struggle of identity that I think a lot of bars in this city have to deal with as well, too. You know, for sure. me working at a tiki bar, like, I won't lie, I get frustrated when we get people who come in and they just want a vodka soda and they just want, like, a beer or something like that and they don't even look at the menu. It's to me. Do you there's... ever have, like, tiki nerds that are, like, stump the bartender kind of people? I feel like that would be. Do I? I like, well, I'm more of asking because I know that you do because I've yeah. seen it happen, mm-hmm. but. How often does that occur? Oh, uh, 5%. Would you rather have an obnoxious tiki enthusiast or somebody who is upset that you don't have Tito's? I think, you know, I was at, I I, I was at, um, (laughs) (laughs) I've been at Latitude 29 since the opening and I left briefly and now I'm back over there um, full time. But for me, being somebody who built that bar, who was very responsible for getting that program off the ground. Yeah, you and, ran that bar for a couple yeah, of years when it opened. And I think for anybody who's a creator of a product, you want people to appreciate what you created, right? So, like, I want people to come in and enjoy the tiki stuff that I know we do really well. When somebody comes in and they just want to get, like, Can I sub a this margarita. for vodka? Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. It's just like, you know, you just... I, this is a question in my head that's just like it's kind of like why are you here right. or do you have McUltra like yeah. I love that question yeah I just I mean I can't <laughs> it comes deliver right after do you have Tito's yeah. Yeah. I can't deliver that product as well as I can the product that we specialize in and that's frustrating to me as a bartender it's just being in a very specific niche bar like I don't have a big beer selection I don't have an IPA that I can offer somebody I don't have like a nice cold cheap beer right. that I can offer somebody uh, so at that point I think there's for me it's a disconnect with you know, a customer, you know, and absolutely. That's once again, that identity struggle. I think a new Orleans bar will have. Sure. I think a lot of bars, I think tiki bars are kind of a unique animal, but I think a lot of bars go too far in that direction of tr- being like, this is our concept. I will, and this is the hill I will die on rather right. than sort of meeting in the middle. Cause there's like, you can carry Tito's and just not have that conversation 12 times a week. Right. And, Give people what they want, mark it up a bunch, and then you know. It's, <laughs> it's, I feel like a lot of bars are like will just go to go to war over not carrying popular stuff because right. it's not yeah. something they like. And it's, but I feel like so part of that is starting to phase out a bit, um, at least from what I've seen, especially with all the like funny like the white claw cult <laughs> that started and like mm-hmm. all of these like you know like long way with bringing like hypnotic into back into like I take credit holes. for that at 12 mile we had hypnotic and, cocktails and here like eight years that ago too, like Midori's <laughs> coming back on people's menus so it's like I think that there's like like drinking should be fun it shouldn't be some like very serious thing so when we take it seriously it takes part of the, the fun out of it so mm-hmm. when you're giving someone shit for ordering something like Tito's even though like it comes with maybe that someone that you don't necessarily want to engage with outside of just serving them a drink. I think that, I mean, I had conversations at bars I worked at like, no, we need to have Grey Goose. We need to have like an option that's like an higher, a higher end thing for exactly what you said. Like, so we can, we're all trying to make money, make right? Money. So like, yeah. mm-hmm. that's, that's the, ultimate. <laughs> that is yeah. The if you don't stay in the black, point. it's all for naught. And I mean like, yeah, enjoy your like moment in the sun. But if you are, if you want to do something cool, do it. Don't make people feel excluded from that. So, like, yeah. I mean, like, when, like, the, Tonique is a very prime example. I love that place so much. But they don't have Tito's, and it's just, it blows my mind that they don't. Why? Right. Everyone wants it. Sell it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> that was a um, cool thing when we went to Roosevelt Room in Austin, Texas. They had this whole menu where it was everything from, like, the golden age of cocktails all the way through. They've had the dark ages, which were the 90s. Mm-hmm. But, like, so they had, like, a Long Island iced tea on their menu, um, and it's, but it's like all premium, like a, a well-made stuff. Long like, Island yeah, iced tea is like delicious. They, I had a Cosmo there <laughs> and it was, find, but it yeah. was the best Cosmo I've ever had, mm. you know? And when you walk into that bar, the first thing you see is a picture of Sasha Petrovsky. And so you like, and it's a beautiful, beautiful space and they put so much care into what they're doing. But the fact that they have something for everyone, whether it's like a cobbler, like a sherry cobbler or mm-hmm. a Long Island or whatever, like they have all of those options, yeah. I also, which is, I think, a beautiful concept. There's a there's an element of handholding, I think, that goes with it, too. Like if, if a group of people comes in and like four out of six of them really want to be there for the tiki and the two of them are just there because their friends are really into tiki, then it, it could be helpful to be like, OK, well, we have something for you. And then they see their friends doing it. Maybe they weren't into it to begin with, but because they're in the environment, maybe their next drink, they'll try the tiki. But if you sort of if you if you cross if you have you haven't given them something to to get them comfortable, then you might lose them and never have that opportunity. 
Oh, is that directed at me? <laughs> I'm just, I'm, it doesn't necessarily. I, I mean, it's, it's same thing I've got a lot for, of thoughts on it as well. Too, like, but. I mean, one of the biggest problems, and I'd, I'd love to discuss this with both of y'all uh, mm-hmm. as well. Both of y'all, geez, that's no, that's that's, I a, mean, that's a phrase right there. But um, <laughs> but uh, I think one of my issues with that particularly is that person who comes in with that group and immediately they're like, "Tiki's gay. I can't do Tiki. It's too sweet." You know, like that's this mentality. It's this toxic, like horrible mentality, mm-hmm. and it's usually like a bunch of like single men. It's like, just give me a beer. That's all I can drink because if I was caught dead with one of these Tiki drinks, people would question my masculinity. And that's when an it issue has that more we, rum mm-hmm. than any. That, that would be yeah, you know, yeah. the strongest drink exactly. you can possibly have. But I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's got just, a monkey on it, so right. queer. Yeah, exactly. Why and does it have just, this gay flower? Exactly. It's like, oh, there's a flower. I might as well be. The weird thing that blows my mind, like, at latitude along those lines, is uh, we've got our Navy Grog there, which is served with the Navy Grog ice cone. And, mm. like, it's a cone of ice it's that sticks out of the cocktail. drink. It's a great It's a great drink. It's Frank Sinatra's favorite drink. It's rum and spice and then a little bit of citrus juice and honey. It's not a sweet drink. Uh, but there's like a one out of five times that we'll put that in front of somebody who's like, oh, look, it's like there's a penis sticking out of my no. drink. It's like, Come what on. kind of penis is that? <laughs> it's, it's an ice cold, <laughs> triangular shaped thing. It's just like, if there's anything mildly there's phallic, it's just like. There's in it. <laughs> 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 similarity. Now all I can think it is like ice look urethra. Like just yeah. the tip. Yeah. <laughs> But it's just it's just so crazy to me. It's just like there's so much impact. I just want to be like, look, it's just like, do we need to talk about this right now? Where like you're just seeing phalluses and like every little thing. Like, <laughs> it's like there's that's too much. It's too much. And it's it's exhausting. It's that like bartender, like bystander trauma thing when it comes down to it. like the first time it doesn't really bother you, mm-hmm. but the hundredth time it really yeah. starts like I've had men like look me in the eye and be like, Give me something that's not a bitch drink. Oh, yeah, and Fuck it's like that. you're just you're like not only is that just an, an absurd, asinine thing to say, but the fact that you would look at like a woman in the eyes and say that. So whenever people do, like, it doesn't really happen a lot anymore. Um, but when it does happen, because you know you'll, you'll never know. Like if someone orders a drink that happens to be pink, people. Like all good drinks are right. <laughs> well, let's let's jump into it real quickly. Um, we're about to go on break, but I'd really like to let, wrap up this segment. We're talking about the start with your New Orleans bartender right. career. I'd like to start the next segment with talking about where you're at now and sure. your projects that you're working on. But uh, let's start with you, Anna, to talk about kind of the journey you've taken as well, and you know, kind of the path that uh, a woman has to take to be successful in this industry in New Orleans. Cool. Um, so yeah, so that giving half of a shit thing, I started to give full of full shit. Um, <laughs> no more pinching what? it off. <laughs> I'm gonna go all in there. Um, uh, when I started at um, a place called Mobar, it had recently been taken over by a group called LeBlanc and Smith, who I actually still currently work for. Um, with uh, the head of the bar program was this guy named Christopher Bryan. We'd call him CB or Seabreeze or Cornbread or Cheeseburger. <laughs> um, cerebral ballsy, right? <laughs> um, anyway, um, <laughs> so uh, I got into actual like specs and classics and reasonings and histories with that dude um, over at Mobar. And uh, and then it, like again, I think that Maggie and I grew in the same at the same time within this journey that we realized, oh, there's competitions you can join. Oh, there's like brand people that you can get to know and can give you favors. And there's like a whole community that you can involve yourself in that makes this work really, um, really involved and actually super gratifying. Uh, and so then I've just been working on that ever since. And that was like what five. Four years yeah, ago, we met each other. We met Mobar. each other at Mobile. It was Anna was my adorable. server. Mm-hmm. I had been ghosted by a date, and it was like New Year's Eve or something. It was the day after New Year's. It was the day after. Yeah, I think it was New Year's Day, like yeah. January first. Yeah, and you were my server. And you gave me a bone marrow luge sure of did. Herb Saint. And then we became <laughs> instant friends. <laughs> we literally, I gave her the bone luge and she showed me a picture of like the Grinch. And then we it were like. It was baby Grinch. It was baby Grinch. <laughs> and then I was like, I get off work in half an hour. <laughs> and so she hung out at the bar with CB. And then we yeah. all went to Bar Tonique. And that was the first yeah. time you'd ever been there. It was my first time going to Tonique. And you're like, so what have you been up to lately? And I was like, I'm just like rewatching all of Buffy. And that was our first conversation <laughs> yep. about Buffy. And then it was just like instant. We became instant best friends. That's Aww. basically how that went. So yeah, that was our that was Yeah, the start. and then I started working at Mobar literally like 
a month and a half after that. Mm -hmm. I left Swizzle Stick and was bartending, serving part-time there at Mobar. It seems like Mobar and then later Tanique is Tanique especially, I think, is one of those nexuses where almost everyone, everyone <laughs> yeah. puts in a, a, like a, a few months so there at the very people. least. Yeah. So Anna, you were you were a Tanique for a while, right? I was there for two years. I still pick up some shifts because it's super fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great to, yeah, it's great to be off Rampart Street. But it, yeah, <laughs> two two years at Tanique will do a number to you. But it made me super fast. <laughs> Fair. And Maggie, you're there now? Super yes. fast with Parisian among, shakers. Among other things. Right. The fastest. All right. Well, yeah. let's, let's bring it up to the present. What, where is everyone currently, like your main hustle bartending gig? What's, what, what do you got? Main hustle bartending gig. Uh, I manage the bar at Longway Tavern, which is a part of LeBlanc and Smith Group. So sticking with the fam. All right. And my main hustle for bartending is Bartonique. So I'm there uh, two to three days a week. And then I also am the brand ambassador for Noble Coyote Mezcal. All right. Well, we'll get into more of the brand work on the other side. But uh, yeah, let's take a quick break. We'll, we'll do a little interstitial, which we will record after the fact. And we'll get back to the show. Hey, everybody. We're in the mid-shift, our uh, new season three feature in which we uh, take a little break uh, and then talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the podcast itself and the big picture, you know, and touch on a little bit about our, our guests, where you might be able to find them, that kind of thing. Uh, so uh, we have some big news. Big news. Big news. Uh, you may have heard at the beginning of this episode or several times during the last episode or the one before that, that we have a Patreon now. And we also have a patron on Patreon. Woo! We have one patron. We're like Renaissance painters. We have a, we have patron patrons. We have a well, a patron composers. I don't know. I assume it, he, this person has a fiefdom somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, thank you very much for that person who has decided to take a chance on us to produce more high quality podcast episodes about New Orleans bartending and culture and society and life and all the other good stuff. Uh, we're really excited. I mean, up until this point, honestly, I was about to reach out to Cole and be like, eh, maybe we need to figure out another way to kind of sponsor this podcast. But uh, going this season without a sponsor has been, you know, with its challenges. Um, so we're looking forward to hopefully more of our listeners being able to help us out and uh, support uh around with Stephen cole yeah we, we only really need a handful of people to support and it really at any level and we can make this a very sustainable enterprise and yeah. maybe even uh produce some other material yeah right could, on. could be interesting so once again uh if you are interested in checking out our patreon account it's uh patreon.com backslash a r w s a c that's around with Stephen cole just the initials. Yeah. Uh, we are planning on also releasing a uh, rewards packages for people who do become patrons to offer exclusive content and certain things. We've got a couple things in the works, but that does, once again, depend on who decides to back up our project. Yeah. And more informally, if you are out and about and you see either Steve or myself, uh, introduce yourself as a patron and we'll buy you a drink probably. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, anywho, so speaking of uh, projects and things, uh, our two guests today uh, have their hands on a lot of different uh, projects at the moment, which is really cool. Did uh, you almost say pies? I, say I almost did say pies. pies and I, I, I know, it's, it it's such I a gross metaphor, yeah, but I like, kind of like it. I, don't, I just don't want to put gotta, a hand in a pie. Sorry, I got my fingers in a lot of pies. <laughs> gross. As you just said it, I was like, that's gross. <laughs> You have your finger in a lot of projects. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, our first guest, Maggie Morgan, uh, has just started brand ambassadorship with Noble Coyote Mezcal. If you see that, check it out. If you see her, ask her about that. You can catch her bartending at Bartonique as well. That's a true story. And our other guest this week, Anna Giordano, she is uh, behind the bar at Longway Tavern and also the local brand representative for Pisco Caravedo or Caravedo Pisco, formerly Pisco Portone. Uh, they're kind of a big deal in the Pisco world. So uh, check it out if you get a chance. They got some good varietals. Yeah, more importantly, uh, some cool things happening. I know in the episode, uh, Maggie and Anna mentioned that their Salonda Whatever, which is their project supporting local artists and creative types, uh, through a pop up at Bar Santos over on Decatur Street, uh, was happening on September 3rd. 
which clearly happened a couple days ago from when we'll be posting this episode. <laughs> yeah, that will not be in the future anymore when you are hearing this. But uh, it does look like they host those Salonda Whatevers on the first Tuesday of every single month. So please check them out. Check them out on Facebook as well to see what's coming up. There's a lot of really cool events, a lot of really cool ways to support local artists. Indeed. Uh, they also, and we'll talk about both of these in the second half of the episode, Salonda Whatever, and they host an annual Buffy the Vampire Slayer pop-up. The last year's, and I believe this coming years, are at... Uh, I was at uh, Portside Lounge. Portside Lounge. Portside Lounge. The, uh, the, the mid... Uh, sorry, Central City Tiki Dive yeah. and Metal Bar. And uh, I don't yeah. like Josh Whedon, but that's a really fun pop-up, so, you know. Like, yeah. just, uh, we, we, we all rag on Steve a little bit later in this episode about his being the odd man out with the Josh Whedon fanhood in our group. Right on. Anyways, well, this has been the mid-shift, y'all. We're going to jump back into this episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting, and we'll catch you soon. Patreon! Welcome back, y'all. This is Steve Yamada from Around with Steve and Cole. We've got our third episode of Season 3 here with some fantastic guests. First of all, my co-host once again. Hi, I'm Cole Newton. And let's just go ahead and reintroduce our guests real quickly. Uh, first of all, let's, uh, we're, we're going to start off this little segment talk about brand work. So how about we introduce ourselves in the context of that? Love that. Um, hey, Anna Giordano. I am a brand rep in New Orleans for La Caravado Pisco, formerly known as Pisco Porton, but... That's how people know it, but no longer is it called that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Maggie Morgan. I work for Noble Coyote Mezcal here in New Orleans as the brand ambassador. Um, and yeah, it's great juice. Excellent. I think brand ambassadorship is a really interesting thing. I'm actually in the process of um, interviewing. I'm in the final process of interviewing for a brand position right now. So fingers crossed. Can't really talk about too much of that at the moment. But it's interesting to me how that's developed as a thing. Uh, career-wise because for a while it seemed like as a bartender your options were you had a little forking path and on one side of the path was I'm going to eventually open up my own bar one day and that goal is you know changed as the economy has changed as well Um, and as the markets become more saturated as well with with cocktail bars and programs the other side of that path was full-time ambassadorship which there used to be a lot more full-time ambassador programs Um, I think that bartenders in general kind of ruined that also Mm -hmm. brand excessive brand spending really ruined that as well too like saying like hey we're going to pick up this like hot bartender and we're going to give them a black card or a celebrity or a celebrity (laughs) and um, there's just no return on investment and brands are all about ROI when it comes down to it I think that's developed into a lot of part-time brand ambassadorships, and I think that's kind of the smarter model to go through. Which is exactly what we do. Yeah, right on. And Um, we work for smaller brands as well, because there's so many smaller brands now, too, that makes much more sense to have, like, a person on the ground in a, you know, in a cocktail mm -hmm. scene. I got to imagine that one of the, the, I'm just trying to, I I don't know anything about brand work, really. I've never had that that direct experience. Um, But something like Pisco uh, Caravedo, it is... It's a category that's still flying under the radar. It's been around for hundreds of years. People have been making Pisco for generations and generations. But it's still sort of only now is getting a foothold in the States at the very least. Um, but Caravedo is definitely one of the bigger brands. And so we were, I was just talking with Steve. All, all three of the bars that we work at, the only Piscos that we have are one of your expressions. Yeah. Mezcal, on the other hand, is blowing up. Right. And there are tons of mezcals in the market Which right is now. Crazy. So it might be a bit easier to say this is what we are, this is what we do, but it's a much more crowded category. It is. I think the biggest thing that mezcal companies are focusing on now isn't even, you know, marketing, it's on sustainability, which is a huge reason why I accepted the job that I work for now, with there being agave shortages all throughout Mexico, not only just for mezcal agaves but for tequila and blue weber as well um and that was a huge part of i think the the movement in mexico is to make it how do we make this a sustainable thing where there will be agaves left Mm -hmm. in the world Mezcal. Uh, piggybacking off what cole was talking about um with with being maybe more crowded agave spirit marketplace Mm -hmm. as well what strategies do you implement to try to grow awareness for your brand um right now i think that just education and being able to share what we do uh, as far as that we are sustainable, that these, these are people that have been making mezcal for generations. I think that that's extremely important for people to know. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, like I am still in my first month of doing this, so I'm still quite new mm-hmm. and I'm kind of learning that as well, but I just started partnering up with Jewel of the South. Um, so every Monday we're going to be, be doing mezcal Mondays 
uh, where we like raffle off a bottle so that people can kind of get interested and excited about, oh, I can win a bottle of this mezcal if I just tag my friend on like a social media post Mm -hmm. and like it's more engaging and you can, you know, like everything's through Instagram and Facebook now and like as much as we might not want it to be. So I think being able to share awareness through social media as well is important. How's the Pisco hustle? Pisco hustle is good. Um, It's like you said, it's a spirit that, you know, goes unknown every once in a while. Um, But there, yeah, the blessing and curse is that people might not know what it is, but when you show them what it is, they're super impressed by it. Everyone loves a Pisco Sour. Everyone loves a Pisco Sour, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you, it's a delicious drink. It's, it's great. one of the best. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and I mean, I'm very lucky to be able to work for uh, a brand that has established itself slightly. Um, we took a hit with that um, Bacardi name loss for those who may not be aware <laughs> P- pisco portone the logo and the name i from what i understand were sort of intentionally designed to re- look like patron you can say what you will <laughs> uh, <laughs> um but they figured it out and they <laughs> it only took like six years it, right? we, yeah we <laughs> did real good during that time i, I honestly really like the rebrand i think caravado is a more unique name yeah. i think the bottle it, shape it, it, yeah, it's a better better it fits on the back bar a little yeah. more easily it's, it's the name the of the bottle. hacienda yeah. it makes tons of sense it's mm-hmm. the oldest distillery in the americas 1684 so like hmm. having like having it be the name of the brand makes perfect sense um mm-hmm. so yeah the pisco hustle is pretty good and like you said um if at least locally being a local pisco rep because i'm not sure that there is another one that just like mainly focuses on new orleans, new orleans. you can mm-hmm. like not if that's your pisco bar you're probably not going to have more than like one or two piscos on your mm-hmm. shelf so if i can be that one that's pretty great yeah i think what's interesting is so maggie your brand is completely new to the market right yes. so anna your brand actually has had a lineage of people, not with La Caravedo, but with um, Pisco Portone, mm-hmm. because that's kind of been a position that multiple people have occupied as well, um, which I think is almost a little bit more difficult because like whether or not previous reps did a good job or if they did a really good job, yeah. you're kind of like stepping in other people's footsteps. Um, how, do, how do you feel about that? Um, it's such a, um, truthfully, it's such a low pressure job that, um, it's really what, it's what you do with it mm-hmm. as the position. So I just take it, um, you know, one bar at a time. Networking is really helpful. Um, knowing a bunch of people, bar managers in the area is really ideal. What was the place that you were most surprised to pick up Pisco? Or was there a bar that you went to that's like, why would you even consider picking up a Pisco? But thank you for doing it. Um, actually, uh, Bourbon O, most <laughs> recently. Okay. Which is pretty fun for me, because now I get to go to Bourbon O. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have an excuse to go. I, I really love Cheryl Charming. I've known her for years, and she's yeah. always been like very yeah. uh, supportive of everything I've ever done. So she's pretty pretty great. Yeah, nice. I, l- I like that place. It's kind of a little oasis on Bourbon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Any oasis on Bourbon, I'm willing to go to, especially if they Unless have Pisco. there's a bar called the Oasis on Bourbon, which I bet there probably oh, is. Right? I think there, there, there probably should be. I think yeah. there is a place. Oh, my God. There might be there. at least three. Oh, Oasis. <laughs> Was it a, like... Hunk Oasis or Oasis Hunk was like a strip club that was on Oasis. Oasis know, Hunk Street. doesn't sound good. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, Hunk I don't think Oasis. it was a good strip Oasis club. Oasis but. sounds much better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hunk of Burning Oasis. <laughs> I got to Google that later. It's just ringing a bell. So Maggie, um, a question that we'll bounce back to Anna with as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the What do you hope to gain from this position, this part-time position? Um, I really just wanted to see if it was something that I would want to be able to do full-time like you said there's only so many kind of routes you can go as a bartender and obviously I don't want to bartend forever that's Mm -hmm. something that I am really passionate about and I love doing but you know I have thought about oh maybe I do open my own place you know but I feel like I wanted to get a feel for what brand work was like before I decided oh well this is what I want to do and pursue you know full-time jobs um so it was mainly just kind of that just to see if I like it so far. I am really enjoying it. I feel like, um, it's important to know your market and I feel like I've been in new Orleans long enough to where I have lots of people that are supportive of it. So that's Mm -hmm. great. I, I agree with you. Like, like you said, um, you either go one route to the other and, you know, trying, trying out that one route. Cause it's obviously not, you're going to try out like, Oh, I'll just try out to open this bar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you try out the brand work and see if that's something for you. And, uh, 
work with because it might with, not work be. within the confines. Yeah. It might not yeah. be. We'll see. But yeah. I feel like Anna and I are both pretty decent <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> so far. So far, so we, good. We haven't fucked up too bad yet. <laughs> <laughs> just, a little, just a little bit. <laughs> Seems like it's kind of hard to fuck up. I forgot the mezcal for the first event I ever worked because oh. I Ooh. just assumed <laughs> that the place that did the event would order it. But then they were like, as soon as I got there, the the rep from Mexico was like, so where's the mezcal? And I'm like, oh, that mezcal that they sent me. I thought that they were for tastings, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and they were like, no, some of those are for tastings, but like, why would we give you six bottles of Espadine for a tasting? And I was like, okay, okay. You haven't been to New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I know, right? So yeah, that was my, my one. I was like, oh shit moment, but it ended up being fine. Cause Lyft exists. <laughs> so I got Conrad to put the mezcal and a lift oh, yeah. and send it to the location that I was at. Like You're a child. Watching your phone the entire time yeah. as the car where's is my, moving. Where's my mezcal? <laughs> <laughs> um, one, of the, one of the sort of running themes uh, that we have on the show is that people come to bartending and to the service industry from all different types of backgrounds. Um, but it often allows people to pursue the interests that they they came into it with it's it's sort of a very the service industry is very nebulous and you can there's a lot of opportunities to create uh, a space for uh, either a niche cultural interest or uh, to pursue um, art curation. Um, <laughs> so with that in mind, and circling back to how Steve opened the episode, uh, pop ups are a great way to sort of elevate uh, a personal brand for a bartender. And so uh, both of you are uh, have been collaborating for for several years mm-hmm. on a Buffy the Vampire themed pop up that yeah. is is very fun. I was very happy with my uh, season seven Xander costume that, that I wore to the first one. That was so great. Um, and also the Salonda whatever is that the mm-hmm. the yeah. collaboration on the rotating art show that that lives above Santos. Yes. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about your pop up stuff. Great. What do you who. Who whose idea was the was the bronze the Buffy pop up? I feel like we had talked about it. Like I I don't remember whose idea it was, but we we're like, wouldn't it just be really funny and fun if we were able to like make this happen? And yeah. then Sam, when they were still running the Catahoula, had like a post on Facebook, like, "Hey, I have this you know rooftop space." And that's when Anna contacted me and was like, this is the yeah, perfect. I worked there at the time. Yeah. And she, Anna was like, this is the perfect opportunity to like do the Buffy pop up we had been talking about for like a year prior. So we were actually like, okay, well, now we have a space to do it. We can actually actualize it. That was a, a fun thing. moment that we were like, this is super possible. Mm-hmm. Every, yeah. Everything is super possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a space and it's definitely in New Orleans. It's so entrepreneurial and, it is a small community. It is a smaller city. Therefore, smaller communities of people know your needs, like know your spaces and, uh, and ask favors. And yeah. it's usually people are down to help, down to do cool stuff. For sure. Um, but yeah, it was Anna that helped actualize it for the first time, but we had been talking about it for like a year prior to the first one. So it's been four years. It sounds kind yeah. of. Like it was sort of foundational to your friendship. Yeah. I mean, we actually, we've can't done see so them. much. We've got shit. really beautiful matching oh. Buffy palm tattoos. Season three episode Ouch. gingerbread. Yeah. <laughs> gingerbread. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, but in the same vein, when Katie, uh, who now how our friend who, who has moved to Chicago just approached Maggie and was like, Hey, I got a space. You got some, yeah, no, you like, you like doing stuff. You want to do something? And Maggie was like, yes, we'll figure it out. Yeah. I was like, I'll <laughs> like, give me some time to brainstorm. And, um, I had thought about it and I wanted to create a space and I knew Anna could help me with this too. Cause she has the art creation background that we could actually do something, um, for artists in new Orleans. Cause I think that's a big thing that I had talked to a lot of people about in the service industries, you know, bartenders, servers, hostesses, whatever. Uh, a lot of them come from fine art backgrounds and they don't have places to show their art because not everyone wants to show in a coffee shop, not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, and then some people don't have the opportunities to show at galleries on Royal or what have you. Um, but there's no space that I can think of in New Orleans that kind of plays that 
that middle ground. I feel like Treo might have been a that's, good example of that. That's as, a great so, one. And, ain't there no more. Yeah, the, may, may <laughs> they rest in peace. <laughs> so, we one of our first one of our first episodes we had like folks on from Treo. Right. Yeah. But we wanted mm. to be able to fill that void for people and give them a reason to feel like they should continue to make art mm-hmm. and that the service industry isn't just, I think like the mental health aspect of it was really important, like to continue to like make art, don't be discouraged. Um, so that was our, one of our biggest kind of things that we agreed to that if we have the salon, we give the artists 100% of the profits of what they sell. Mm. Um, so for Anna and I, it's a passion project and we have it every month. Um, Typically, we try and get artists that are in the service industry. Sometimes, you know, we just have people that are interested. Like we had a KDB from Downtown Tattoos because uh, she's moving and, one, and had a bunch of paintings to sell. Um, and then my friend Crystal came from New York, who is in the service industry in New York as a bartender. Um, but typically, we do like to focus on uh, the New Orleans talent here. Because it's, I mean, more often than not, I've always thought this, it's generalizing, but if you're a bartender at a craft bar, you probably have arts or liberal arts background mm-hmm. hmm. or you're creative. You're some type of creative thing. person. There was something pretty interesting. I was watching um, a small documentary on YouTube by Defunct Land. They usually cover like amusement park stuff, but their last season was all about Jim Henson and mm-hmm. like his career. And Jim Henson uh, fought his entire career about being classified as a puppeteer because he was, he always wanted to be an artist in general and And the success with like everything else. I mean, like eventually like towards the end of his life, he really embraced himself as being a puppeteer and a a spokesperson for that and appreciating that as an art form. But I, when I heard that, I had this weird parallel in my head too, about how like, you know, all the people who like, you know, the bartending is a secondary thing. And then at some point, maybe there's a transition where they have to be like, you know, actually like I am a bartender. That is my career. Like just something that was kind of bouncing around in my head. And it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. The, the, the people who come to bartending as a way to facilitate their other pursuits and then like y'all have done, uh, find avenues to explore those original pursuits via bartending. I find often are the people in the industry that I really gravitate towards because they I've, I've, they're, have interesting things to say and they do interesting things and they've got sort of rich lives outside of the bartending community. Those people that are really into bartending and that's the thing that they're really into. I mean, there, there's, there's fine. It's fine. There's an element of like the <laughs> cool. culinary arts are, are creative pursuit unto themselves. Absolutely. But like people who are like, I know all of the Amari. Like, <laughs> <Right>. okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> it's just never, I, if, if, if I'm interviewing a bartender for to hire and all of that they want to talk about is bartending, then right. I probably won't hire I that think person. it's just important relatable. to have yeah. in, like multiple interests. Like I obviously like love bartending and there's things about it. I still love going on the educational trips and doing that kind of thing and meeting other bartenders. But I think it's also important for me to go to art shows and for me to go to music shows. I've been volunteering mm. at Sisters in Christ a couple of times a month so I can just be at a record store, you know? So I think it's important to also explore other things outside of that. Do you feel uh, you've experienced or come close to experiencing any burnout in the industry? I think that, I mean, yes. Um, But I think that's when I was trying to go full throttle with just bartending and bar managing. And I wasn't giving myself enough time to do anything outside of those pursuits mm-hmm. like when i felt like my life was my interest on like we're going on the back burner like i that's when i experienced burnout mm. for How sure about for you, Anna? um when i worked at a hotel bar uh i my my mind wa- waned a slight um <laughs> <laughs> uh, which hotel bar did you work at the ace. Oh right! <laughs> Everybody, everyone's put into I was OG. the tiny hotels. OG. I opened that place OG with the J-E. assumption that it was going to be super dope because that's what it was sold to me as, and I there was a really killer bar team and everyone was cool. But I did have a really killer later. bar team. But <laughs> damn, was it mentally fucking exhausting? Yeah. That was for me. That's that was right when I was like, um, yeah. Mark offered me a job at Tonique, and I was like still kind of unsure that I could do that sort of volume or be that type of bartender. And I was like, fuck it. Absolutely. I'll go here. Um, because <laughs> full, full time right. at Tonique is three days a week. 
So hmm. you work three days a week, you make your money and you chill. I've, I've talked to other bar managers and I kind of feel similarly that that I'm usually interested in hiring people who have been hired at the ACE because they're A, <laughs> they're almost always looking for a way out, but yeah. they're really good at getting talent. So it's like, oh, you, you've been in that environment. You probably have been well vetted as somebody who's like an interesting person to get bartender, but you definitely <laughs> want somewhere else to be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not to shit talk too much, but it is amazing the amount of really great, talented people they've gone through. Like people who like, and like fucked can over. be very successful yeah. there, right? Yeah. I mean, like people, like you put them in any other situation and they'll thrive. And like yeah. that one is like, they do six months and they're like, ah, and then they just are gone. <laughs> yeah. I, I did my six to eight months there and I was like, ah, right. and, <laughs> and then I really quit talented drinking. People there. there are still very talented people that work oh, yeah. for them. Yeah. They still got a great but, team. Uh, my fiance to, works there. To, right. to each their own. You know, it's, uh, it's not for everyone. It's not an environment. Mm-hmm. There, there are people who, success. there are people who have thrived there and, and I'm, yeah, they're, <laughs> really, just saying. Okay. That's the only person I'm thinking sure. of right yeah. now who's yeah, like fair. continued to stay employed there and Weirdly move up in the organization. Enough, right? Right. Yeah. Stuck it out. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Well, uh, let's circle back real quickly because I'd really like to put a little bit more of a spotlight on uh, the pop-ups uh, particularly. So uh, the bronze, which is the Buffy the Vampire uh, Slayer pop-up that you've done, it has happened how many times now? Two years. This is going to be years. our third. Yeah. Going on year three. Season three. <laughs> season, <laughs> season three. Yeah. Are you going to do graduating. the last one as a, as a comic book? Oh, <laughs> my God. That would be great <laughs> to have like dead rabbit style cocktail menus mm. for the, the final season we'll, eight. <laughs> we'll never stop though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you do like, five seasons yeah. of Angel after? Oh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Duh. Probably. We'll do like a hotel lobby theme <laughs> instead of the bronze. Wasn't able to make it to the first one, but did get to make it to the second one with the little crew from Latitude 29. Yeah, we all was, had a which blast. Which was bonkers. Yeah. yeah. yeah that thanks, was, for, thanks for waiting. Thanks for waiting. Oh, no, no. Yeah, everything was, yeah, you guys might have thought it was not like going like yeah, not smooth isn't the word I was, but there was more people there than I think you were. We expecting, right? were not expecting. There was the like turnout. lying was, out the door. It was which insane. never happens in New Orleans. Yeah, it was because especially you get, in Central City. Well, yeah. that was a, a big part of it was that we talked to a lot of the people that that went, and a lot of the people that were there weren't from the bar community. Which mm-hmm. we had a ton of people from the bar community, but mm-hmm. a lot of them were just like they fucking love Buffy, and that's a cult that exists yeah. like in the world. So, and they they were just kind of like, oh, I just, you know, I didn't realize it was a cocktail pop-up. I just saw there was a Buffy party, so I came to it. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, you know, and like we were asking like for like their, like, what do you think we should do next year? So I think we're going to dumb it down a little bit. Obviously still offered like the blood bags and like the fun, like kitschy stuff that we do is the cocktails. So we can have that in, but also just be able to serve like whiskey sodas as well. You've got the next, uh, the next one scheduled already? We yeah. do. Where, where are you going to be? Where are you going to? Well, uh, there's so one. You're taking a show on the road we first. Yeah. Love uh, Portside Lounge. Uh, Danny, the the owner, is just such. He was so supportive of us last year um, that we're going to continue to have it there. I also think it's the perfect space. Yeah. Like it, it, it feels. Really like it feels yeah. like the bronze already, and all mm-hmm. we had to do was put up some like you know Buffy posters here and there, and like put on like the '90s alternative mix that we made, and it was great. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're actually doing one at um, Grand Prize Bar in Houston on the uh, the 21st of October. So that's a Monday. Um, that'll be really fun. It's going to be their upstairs space, and then. The week following that, it'll be the 28th hmm. of Monday at Portside. Awesome. Considering last year was a bit of a crackdown as far as intellectual properties being used with pop-ups and things mm-hmm. like that, do you have any concerns that maybe, like, I don't know, somebody's going to come back at, from the WB and be like, <laughs> well, I mean, it's not like a standing I'm shaking in my so boots. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, I've actually had this conversation before. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's so... It's been the it's been over for twenty years. Mm-hmm. It's it's you know yeah, it's, like after twenty years it's over. Like you can use the namesake. Yeah. Um, I don't. I, I don't actually music, know right? like the with music the legality after twenty. But I think I think the one with like the Game of Thrones thing it was because it was still happening. Like Game of Thrones went through the Stranger Things one was the oh one the that Stranger Things okay that's what the I'm the most polite of. season desist of all time right <laughs> but like I I understand why that happens because mm-hmm. it's still a show that's being put out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I think with Buffy, it's more like we were tagging like Sarah Michelle Gellar and like the cast and stuff in our posts. Like we hope that they fucking find out about this, you know, which obviously <laughs> yeah, like, bring it got, on. I'm not nervous. Yeah. No, interaction, <laughs> no interaction from the, any of the, we almost got Drusilla to come. We almost oh. got, we almost got Drusilla. <laughs> yeah. Next, next year. Yeah. She like a friend of ours had worked with her in like a film or something. And he was like, he like sent her the invite. Uh, to our Facebook page. And she was like, oh, that looks lovely. Like, because they were in town for like va- the vampire ball. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That checks. <laughs> so, yeah, unfortunately, she wasn't there. If she was, it was so busy that I didn't see her. But I feel like everyone would have been high-pitched squealing. Also, there's going to be a costume contest this year. Mm. Yeah. There should have been one last year because there were some baller costumes. We had a Smile Time angel. Like a guy that made a puppet <laughs> outfit. He looked Amazing. It was. This yeah. would be the point where it's, I've never really seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay, so. oh, oh, I've right. seen the I've seen the movie. It both uh, the movie's good too. The, movie the good. movie's effectively a pilot for the series. Right. It, it, it picks up after the movie. All right. um, you would love it. It's like kitschy and like tongue in cheek and mm. like I the, so the many first puns. season is really very campy, Joss but then. No, I really hate. Okay, it it also has a lot of the Joss Whedon faults too. To be perfectly fair, that is Firefly. All of his work, I've always. But you have all of his work. You've never watched Buffy. I I mean, when I say say I haven't watched Buffy, I mean in the scope of the 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 how much Buffy there is. Mm -hmm. I've seen episodes of Buffy. Okay, never really hooked me. I've been like, I've had that one where it's like, here's the episode with no soundtrack to it. It's like it's going to change your life. It's like. Well, that's a good episode. That's a good episode, but it's not one to be thrown into. I mean, I think I've got a a really good friend of mine who had tried for a very long time and just like, watch this episode, watch this. Let's watch the season Mm -hmm. one. I I think I've watched most of season one. It's just like, season one's kind of not for me. (laughs) You're not selling this show to me. The master. (laughs) Star Wars season two. It it is. Like, Buffy is a slow burn, but it's so worth it. And Mm -hmm. I think it was genius having this like the idea of like oh it's like the cheerleader blonde girl that always gets killed first in the horror movies Mm -hmm. and he wanted to create this woman because there had never been anyone like Buffy Mm -hmm. that was one like a role model to to women that was like no I'm the shit I'm super powerful and to have like the the small blonde finally give her some fucking power like an actual superpower yeah and i think that was a very funny thing and then like oh they're in high school let's throw monsters at them as like a funny (laughs) metaphor for high school like i think the entire uh like show and what it does is brilliant Mm -hmm. i would say yeah as a as a lady growing up watching it too i have a more a, a more special bond with the idea maybe yeah maybe not but i feel yeah, yeah. Well, I feel close to the, the idea. The 90s had no no entertainment besides that too. Also, so like first <laughs> ever lesbian couple on TV was Buffy. Oh. The vampire. Well, not Buffy, Willow was and Tara. It? Yeah. Outward like openly. I know that as a fact. Hmm. <laughs> Game changer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fun <stuff>. Neat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was just, it was just, you know, progressive. <laughs> Yeah. Josh Whedon's still a hack, so whatever. No, damn it. <laughs> not the place. He not wrote place Waterworld. To... I mean, Jesus. It's not the place. He wrote the script Waterworld was not it. the problem with Waterworld. Certainly. <laughs> I think the script was the problem with everything. It was, was wrong with that. Maybe Wasn't it was he on the like list. 26 years old when it he was wrote his that? First he, also, oh, he's, he also uncredited wrote The Rock. Not The Rock, sorry, Con Air. And <laughs> Alien Resurrection as well. Oh, that has some good dialogue. Well, those are just like some paychecks. So those are just like paycheck stuff. I think his like actual like stuff that he really cared about was Buffy and Angel. I kind of like that. I guess that, Firefly uh, as well, but I never Doctor really Horrible Sing Along blog was pretty interesting. Doctor Horrible mm-hmm. was yeah. very good. That, that I enjoyed. I did like Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods oh, is great. And that Felicia Day show that he did um, was pretty good with about the mass multiplayer online stuff. Anybody seen mm-hmm. that one? No. Uh huh. I don't actually think he was involved with that. I think. <laughs> I don't know, but that was good. That was uh, what else, oh, 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 the first Avengers movie was very good. The second one was not very good. No, no, disagree. Well, didn't like it. You didn't like Avengers one. Did not like Avengers one. Right, well, different yeah. strokes, I suppose. Like I said, just I, I feel like I've given Josh Whedon chances. It's, it's not for me, <laughs> and that's like that weird nerdum thing because I am like an uber nerd, but people just like it's like you have to like this. It's like I don't though. I mean, it's, it's the fine. rules. You, can, you cannot like things. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just gonna watch my Shira and be happy with my life. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> All right. Anywho, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm probably going to cut a good dollhouse. Yeah. Doll, uh, no one liked dollhouse. I didn't even like it either. But Eliza Dushku is like one of the sexiest action action stars. Yeah, yeah that's definitely agreed. fair. Yeah, I, I, she should get more work. 
Thank yeah. you. All Most right. Definitely. Positive note. On that note. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, that's been pretty fantastic. <laughs> uh, can we plug our salon real quick? Yeah, plug the salon, please. Yeah. Um, so this coming salon, I'm pretty sure, is the 3rd, September 3rd. It's the first Tuesday of every month. Um, and uh, this month is Erin Workman. She's a painter. Um, does really fun, um, out of the ordinary landscapes, um, portraiture, kind of anything, kind of. Erin's working at Costera. Erin's working at Costera right now. Yeah. 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 So she's, uh, she's in the service. I actually met her at the Ace Hotel. So not all bad things happen at the Ace Hotel. (laughs) Like you said, lots of good people work at the Ace Hotel. Yeah. I mean, Erin's fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's upstairs at Santos. We have, uh, wares too. We sell some vintage stuff. Uh, I always make a, a Pisco punch. Maybe we'll have to share the love, make a Pisco and Mezcal punch this time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just a super fun hang. It's always just a lot of friends. Um, DJs, but DJed by Maggie. Um, like, yeah, final good things, punk, whatever she's feeling like that evening. Um, you yeah. should talk to the artist and kind of see what yeah. they want to hear. Yeah. Curate it. Nice. Yeah. Yes. We. Cool. Yeah, seven to midnight. Awesome. Seven to midnight. Well, that just leads up to our final uh, segment on our show. We like to call parting shots. Uh, it's to, just to give everybody uh, involved in this conversation an opportunity to kind of summarize or leave our audience with one little nugget of wisdom, real quickly. And we just surprise most of our guests because surprisingly, a lot of them don't listen to the show. But <laughs> that's not really surprising. But you know, uh, we have anyhow, dozens of listeners, Steve. Uh, we dozens. have we average like 150 listeners in an episode. It's pretty that's good. It's pretty solid podcast, yeah. I think. Yeah. Anywho, I hope that was enough stalling so that we could think about something that we might want to say for our parting shots. So let's go ahead and start with you, Anna. Once again, just reintroduce yourself to our audience uh, and fire Um, away. Great. So uh, thanks for having me. I'm Anna. And um, we didn't really cover this, but uh, I do want to say that being a woman in the bartending scene is uh, no different than being a man. You just have to work a little harder and do a little more to get the same place. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> very pretty much the same no it's like wearing pretty training weights yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. but um yeah also along with that we do work really hard and mm-hmm. we do get to the similar place and we're finally getting some recognition for it it feels pretty fucking yeah. cool hell yeah yeah if you can dream it you can do it moving uh moving mm-hmm. to you all right um thanks for having me you guys this has been really fun uh i am maggie obviously you guys know me um, my wisdom will not be service industry related, but, uh, just use your basic traffic signals and <laughs> <laughs> you like, ask too much. It's like asking like use, the city not to flood. Like I mean. use a turn signal, you know, stop at red lights. Let's not kill anybody. That would be awesome if we could all just like live another day. Mm-hmm. Blinkers are sexy. You're, you're on a scooter too, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a lot of exposure to the, uh, the to harsh the, world of to the, automotive yeah. manslaughter. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. Thank you. <laughs> ah, man, I, I know that parting shots are coming, and I still wind up wildly unprepared every time. Um, but thank you very much, both of you, for joining us. Um, I have, at various points, at various projects, tried to hire each of you, and <laughs> will continue to do so. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, thank you for coming on. I, I really don't have anything. Buffy's cool. <laughs> Steve's wrong. <laughs> Josh Wheaton's awesome. It's, it's, there's not. A, it's not a binary situation. You don't have to be wrong or right. You can dislike things that other people like. Mm-hmm. Jeez Louise. Maybe that's my parting shot. But it's not. <laughs> uh, I'm Steve Mata once again. Uh, thank you, Anna and Maggie, for coming on. Uh, it's been a fantastic conversation. We actually haven't had an uh, an industry focused episode yet, so it's kind of nice to dip our toes back in bartending, where we make our muster for the most part. Um, I would piggyback off of what Anna was saying. I wish we had talked about it a little bit more. Uh, but what's very impressive to me is that y'all are hardworking, fantastic, visible, great representations for the community. And Thank we you. need more of that here in New Orleans. Um, it's just one of those weird exercises when you count about like how many women have been able to uh, participate in a non-speed rack competition and like make it to the finals or how many get selected for these situations or how many are running bar programs in the city right now. It's better than it has mm-hmm. been. There's still a lot of work to do. Indeed, so yeah. thank you so much for showing that there are many opportunities, brand work, pop-ups, uh, definitely careers at high-end prominent bars within the city as well, too. So thank you very much for all that hard work. Uh, the New Orleans community appreciates it and should appreciate it more. <laughs> Listen to you. that 150 listeners. Damn it. <laughs> what was please? please. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, uh, this has been Around with Stephen Cole. I'm Stevie Mata. I'm T. Cole Newton. And we're going to catch you next time. Cheers.
The theme music for Around with Stephen Cole is by Derek Freeman. A big thanks to all of our listeners and supporters. If you would like to become a supporter of Around with Stephen Cole, visit us at patreon.com slash ARWSAC. Thanks again to everyone for listening. We'll catch you next time. Cheers. Cheers.